This week we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start with verses 1 through 6. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And if you got it uh, and you're ready, just stand to your feet with us so I know you're ready. You all are pretty fast with this. I'd say some of you spend some time in the Word, thankfully. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. I will be reading out of the English Standard Translation this morning. This is what it says. They came to the other side of the sea in the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Heavenly Father, we ask today that you would just open our minds and our hearts and our ears to hear and receive from you. Lord, I ask that you would open those up today who are here, that we would be changed forever. God, and I pray, Lord, that you would just add your anointing and blessing today to this service. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of God this morning. For a moment, I just want you to imagine with me, uh, maybe putting yourselves in the shoes of this man who was so tormented. Uh, that, that can be very difficult for us to do because when we start getting in the topic of demon possession and, and things of that nature, it gets a little standoffish and we don't want to get too close to those topics. And for good reason. Uh, there are certain things that uh, I very much stay away from because I don't want to even come close to it. Uh, there are things that we should not be dabbling in as believers but as we look at the Word of God, I want us to look not so much at the demon possession itself, but the emotional state and the torment and the torture that this man was going through in his life. I imagine at some point in your life there has been moments where you have felt tortured and tormented by something that was going on. Things that maybe haunted you and kept you up at night. Things that uh, gave you nightmares and things that gave you anxiety and depression that were happening in your life. And I want us to relate to the man in that sense of that we maybe at some point have experienced some kind of torturous torment in ourselves. I know there have been seasons in my life where I could not sleep, I, I could not even eat, or on the flip side of it, sometimes I ate and slept too much uh, to deal with these torment, tormenting things in my life. And so uh, with this, I want us to sympathize with this man today and imagine being in his shoes. Imagine being so tormented and not just being so tormented yourself, but your torment has been a nuisance to the people around you to the point where they have taken this man out of the city, out of the village, and tried to tie him up just to get rid of the problem. Can you imagine for a moment being in desperate need of help because you have so much going on inside your mind and in your heart that has weighed you down and has tormented you, and the people around you, your community that probably should be helping you has completely given up on helping you be free from it and has simply just taken you off into the corner and tried to tie you up and forget about you. 
when you start to think about this man in that way, it really opens our eyes to a new way of seeing him. Because when you look at him in one perspective, you can say, well, I don't blame them for trying to tie him up and get rid of him. He was probably violent and acting out and all of those things. But when you look at it through the eyes of the person, you, you see his, him in his humanity. You see that he was simply just a tormented man. And later we're going to find out that he was tormented by more demons than we could ever imagine. You, you can sympathize a little bit with him, and maybe you've even found yourself in a place like that before. Maybe you've even been tormented, and, and your problems have all of a sudden become a nuisance to those around you, and all they want to do is just put you off into a corner, tie you up so you can't get near them, because they don't want your mess in their life. Can, can I tell you today that it's not biblical for us to abandon people like that? The Bible teaches us that we are to bear one another's burdens in the family of God. Now, yes, there are times where the, the, the best way for us to help bear somebody's burdens is to look at them and say, listen here, buttercup, it's time to pick yourself up, get your hands to the plow, and do something with yourself. That's called tough love. And I think we're a little bit afraid of it sometimes, and we shouldn't be. Because if it would not be for tough love in my life, I wouldn't be where I am today. If I wouldn't have had people in my life that say, listen, you're being a little bit of a baby. It's time for you to toughen up a little bit and get back to work. I wouldn't be here today. And there are times when people, when we got to look at people and, and live under the philosophy of you give a man a fish or teach a man to fish. You give a man a fish, he eats for a day. You teach a man to fish, he can feed himself. There, there are times that that's how we help somebody carry their burden. We teach them to fish. We teach them how to read the word for themselves. We teach them how to stand on their own two feet and stand in faith. But it starts with us coming alongside of them and walking with them until they can do it on their own. Amen? Amen. And so we are not called to just abandon people and tie people out, but I can sympathize with this man a little bit this morning. Imagining how he may have felt. Not just tormented, but alone in his torment. That is a terrible place to be. And when we view this story, I, the, the one thing I really want to highlight here is the Bible says they tried to tie him up, they tried to bind him up, they tried to keep him away, but he got to a point where he could not be bound anymore. And if we're going to shift gears a little bit here, I want us to examine this from the perspective of looking at the unclean spirit within this man. And, and maybe shifting the philosophy here a little bit to where maybe there are things in our life that we have tried to just tie up and forget about our own issues, our own unclean spirits, our own things that we have dealt with and are dealing with, and we just try to tie them up and keep them away. But can I tell you today that that doesn't work? There are things that will continue to grow in strength and in power over you that if you don't properly deal with them, they will continue to grow and it will get to a point where you can try to hide them, you can try to put them in a closet, you, you can try to tie these demons up, these issues up, and, and bind them off in the distance, but there will come a point where it will be too strong to deal with them that way. The Bible tells us in James uh, chapter 1, verse 15, it says this, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. 
And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I've taught on this scripture before, but it applies here because it, 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 he could not be bound anymore. Which leads me to know and to believe that at some point he could have been bound. But as time went on, it grew in strength. Like James 1 tells us, it starts out as, as a desire, and, I, and I've said this before, it, the desire itself is not sin. Can, uh, uh, desire in, in and of itself, the temptation in and of itself is not sinful. It is the acting upon that desire and that, that temptation that leads us to sin. Desire gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it starts, it digs its roots and it digs its claws in and it begins to grow in strength until it kills you. And that is what has happened to this man. It started out at a point where, where, where things were, were maybe just in, in somewhat of a desire stage. I know we're dealing with demon possession here, but I want to apply this to our lives. That there are things that have started out as just a little desire, and instead of dealing with that desire and allowing God to transform our heart and put new desire within us, we just try to hide it, die it up, and throw it off to the side and try not to deal with it directly and just try to put it off there. But eventually, that desire will, con will grow in strength. It will turn into sin. And it will begin to break the chains that you have tried to bind it with. And it will begin to come back to you and haunt you and grow in strength until it has full control over you. That is what this man's dealing with. That is what this village is dealing with. They've tried to keep him off in the distance. They've tried, but, but there are things that have grown in him. The, the, the possession, the unclean spirit that is within this man has grown so strong that it can no longer be tied up. Can no longer be tied up. What I've learned is we, we've spent way too much time trying to manage our sin. We spent way too much time trying to manage our issues, manage our, our anxieties, our depressions, our, our whatever you want to fill in the blank with. We spend too much time trying to manage the things God says to cast out and get rid of. We, we've, we've tried so hard to, to walk this line. I don't know if it's because of pride if it's because of insecurity, whatever it may be, but we, we walk this line where we try to live in such a way where we can maintain a certain way of life and continue moving forward. And Jesus says, these things got to be cast out. The Bible teaches us in James 1.21. It says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. If you notice, this comes just a few verses after what we just read in James 1.15 about sin starting as a desire and growing. What he's warning us is it's going to start as a desire and it's going to grow and it's going to kill you. And if you don't deal with it, if you don't put those things off, if you don't get rid of those things, if you don't cast those things away, it's going to take your life and overrule you and destroy you. He's giving us this warning. And so, so with that, we, we have to stop trying to manage the things God has said to cast away. We have to stop trying to figure out how to juggle holiness and torment. We have to stop trying to figure out how to juggle the presence of God and the presence of all these anxieties and depressions. I know a lot of this stuff is easier said than done. 
But I want to tell you today that what happens with this man can also happen with you in your life and what you're battling with and dealing with. The man sees Jesus from afar off. The Bible says that when he sees Jesus, he runs to him and bows down before him. I find it interesting that for all this time, they've tried to tie him up. They've tried to bind him with chains and shackles, and he broke all of those things. But the moment Jesus steps foot, this man becomes subdued by God's presence. There are things in your life you can... You can try to bind them with ropes and chains and other man-made structures and, and things, but there are certain things that can only be tamed and dealt with through the presence and power of Christ. Amen. We sang this morning, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied, for, for your sacrifice, for the freedom and the life that has come through that. There, there are certain things that it is only by the blood of Jesus can we find true freedom. Come on. Amen. Come on. This man runs to Jesus with all of his torment, and kneels down before him. All those things that stand so tall in our life will bow at the feet of Christ. The Bible says that everything under heaven and earth will have no choice someday but to bow their knee to him and worship him. What we see happen next in Mark chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 7 through 17. It says this, and crying out with a loud voice after this man has bowed down, he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. It's ironic, isn't it? This spirit has been tormenting this man for so long, now he's begging for mercy. I find it kind of powerful to think that those things that torment us will beg for mercy in the presence of Christ. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? The spirit replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid." And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And then they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Legion was the name of the Spirit, for they are many. I want to talk about that for just a second here. A legion back then was used in the Roman military time to describe a force of about 5,000 soldiers. Now we see in this scripture that it was about 2,000 pigs that they went to possess when Jesus told them to leave and gave them permission to go into the pigs. So it's anywhere from 2,000 to 5,000 based on if you believe that there's multiple spirits in each pig or it really that's not super relevant because either way, if it's 2,000 or if it's 5,000, that's a lot. That is a lot of demons to deal with. 
This man was tormented by things that we couldn't even imagine. See, when, when we look at these types of situations, and I, I find encouragement in comparing my situations at times to these situations at times, and I can begin to look and be like, this guy was freed from 2,000 demons. What I'm dealing with is nothing. If God can simply speak a word and free this man from his torment of 2,000 demons, he can easily speak to me in my situation and give me a word of peace to calm my anxiety. Give me a, a word of provision to take care of a need. It is nothing for him. When you look at the stuff that God has done in the Bible, how could we ever lack faith that he could do those same things for us? See, the whole purpose of this theme, the miracles of Jesus, is to remind us that if he did it then, he can do it now. So whatever you're dealing with in your life, whatever is going on in your mind and in your spirit that, that torments you and keeps you up at night, maybe it's not even you, maybe it's somebody in your life that you know of, and this is just something that maybe you can take to them and help them with, but I want to encourage you today. That whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever it is that goes on in your mind and in your heart and in your soul and maybe even physically in your body, that if God healed and delivered then and set free then, he can do it now. I, I think about this legion and I, and I wonder sometimes if it started or if it grew. I, I, I tend to think that it grew a little bit or a lot of bit based on what we talked about earlier. He couldn't be bound anymore. Matthew gives us some interesting insight to how some of this stuff works. Excuse me. Matthew 12, 43 through 45 says this, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. I find it interesting, I'm going to pause there for just a second, that the only place an unclean spirit finds rest is in your torment. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. I don't know for a fact that this is how this built within this man. But I, I, I can't help but wonder, and it definitely could still apply to us today, that maybe at times he was able to get some freedom, got his, his house per se, uh, cleaned out, swept up, put in order. But when the Spirit came back, the, the key part of this was here is it was empty still. Uh, I, there, there's a trick to being freed and delivered. It's that when you, when you step away from that thing that held you hostage and held you captive, you have to replace it with something greater or it comes back. See, there are so many people that struggle to be free and delivered because they get free and delivered, but then they never replace that space with something else. The space needs to be swept, it needs to be cleaned, and it needs to be in order, but it also needs to be filled with a greater spirit than that of the unclean spirit. So many people like wonder why they cannot get free from something. 
But they, they, they go to a conference. That I used to talk about this all the time in youth ministry. That we go to big conferences, we go to big events, and we have these big amazing services and powerful services. And I'm not taking anything away from those services because they serve a very powerful purpose. But the problem is, is that when we come out of those things and we get back into reality, there's that moment where we have a responsibility to take ownership of our lives and things may be swept and put in order, but if we don't continue to fill it and we don't put what is right and, and good in that space, the bad will just come back again. Come there have been countless times where I've worked camps, I've worked different things throughout my time in ministry, and I've seen time and time again the same people coming back with the same issues over and over again. And it finally, after a while, finally clicked with me and said, Brandon, God spoke to me and said, you need to tell them this scripture here. You want to be free and delivered? You can't just be free from everything. You got to be free of the eat bad but full of the Spirit. If we do not foster a house within us where we can be full of God's Holy Spirit, we will never truly be free. The Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty. Today, if you want true freedom inside of you, you got to have the Spirit of the Lord on the inside of you. If you need freedom in your surrounding, you need the Spirit of the Lord in your surrounding. We, we see here that Legion begged for mercy, and he sent them to the pigs, and the pigs ran off a cliff and drowned. Then we see how the people come to see what has taken place. And when they realize all our pigs are gone, they begin to ask Jesus to leave the region. I want you to know today that there is a cost of deliverance. There is a cost to freedom. We say it all the time when, when we talk about Veterans Day and July 4th, we always like to say freedom isn't free. That's not just true in the physical, that's true in the spiritual. There is a cost. You see, this, this countryside, this people clung so tightly to these pigs because it was a main source of income, a main source of food for them. This was their livelihood. This is what they ate. This is what they lived on. And, if, and when you understand Scripture, you understand that pigs were unclean animals. So really, if you want to look at it as a spiritual sign of getting rid of more unclean things out of the region, Jesus did them a favor. But because they were so tightly connected to this, to their, to their swine, to their pigs, they, they were so close to them and, and they valued them so much, they, they saw the amazing work that Jesus did, but then they became afraid when they realized their pigs were gone. They said, hold on a second, this is great that this man is no longer demon-possessed. This man is no longer uh, tormenting himself and, and harassing us, but... Why do we have to pay the price for it? That, that's great, but we want this, but we didn't want to lose our pigs. We get into this mindset, like I, I touched on a little bit earlier, that we try to walk this line where we try to hang on to the old while also living in the new. It doesn't work that way. The, the Bible teaches us, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and before the new has come. 
You can't keep one foot in the old and one foot in the new. You have to allow the old to be passed away and allow the new to come. And, and you can't live in limbo either. Like I said earlier, you can't live in this space of emptiness where you don't have anything because the bad and the old is just going to come right back. The old passes away and it needs to pass away. There is a cost. There, there, is, there are people in your life, when you get saved, when you get forgiven, when you get sanctified, there are people in your life that you just can't hang around anymore. Amen. Because you know if you get around those people, you'll get right back into some things you shouldn't be in. When you get saved and you get delivered and you get freed from drugs, you get free from alcohol, you can't go to the same neighborhoods. You can't go to the same stores. You can't go to, to those same places because when you begin to see those things again, it brings back those memories and you begin to go back to the old. When you, when you get freed from lust, when you get freed from depression, you get freed from anxiety, you can't go back and fill your mind with those things that used to dictate your thought processes. You can't watch the same things. You can't listen to the same things. You can't go to the same places. You can't be with the same people. Like, I'm trying to tell you today, when you get saved, you are reborn. The old you has been crucified with Christ, as Paul says, and I have become new in all things. And the life I live is not in my flesh. It is in Christ's Spirit. We cannot live in the old and expect the new. If you want to be truly freed and delivered, you have to allow the old to pass away and the new to come. There is a cost. There, there are things that we struggle to let go of. We don't want to let go of friendships. We, we don't want to let go of fill in the blank for you. We don't want to let go of our addictions. That's why it's so hard to overcome an addiction. is because there is a craving that is inside of a person who is addicted that gives them a sense of satisfaction that causes them to keep going back to it. And until we learn that that empty space needs to be filled with the presence of Christ because the presence of Christ satisfies all things, we'll never get free. But you... Your deliverance, your miracle of deliverance, your miracle of freedom is directly connected to your ability and willingness to move on from old things. Sometimes you've got to make a lot of life changes to get to where you need to be in your life with Christ. It, it, can, it can mean a lot of change. Sometimes it means moving. Sometimes it means changing career paths. Sometimes it means changing friends. Sometimes it means changing all kinds of stuff. But if that thing that you are clinging to so tightly is holding you captive, keeping you in anxiety and depression, see, we, we ask God to deliver the, us from those thoughts of anxiousness and depression and all those things. But really what God does is he removes us from the place that causes it. Talked about it last week with the blind man. Jesus pulled him out of the village and told him, don't go back. Why? Because it would have shut his eyes up again. There's a cost to it, and it's a hefty price to pay. There's risk involved in it. Well, what if I, what if I have to walk this thing alone? Well, would you rather walk alone in freedom or 
walk in a group of bondage? What if, I, I don't know where the next meal is going to, I don't know where this is going to come from or that's going to come from. The Bible says God's, our, we talked about that a few weeks ago. The miracle of provision. If God will clothe the lilies of the field and feed the birds of the air, he will take care of you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all those things will be added to you. See, the thing about seeking his kingdom and his righteousness is seeking righteousness. I've always taught it this way. Righteousness is doing the right things. Righteousness is doing the Christ-like things. Righteousness is doing God's will, being obedient to him. If you, if you want to know what the righteous thing is, there it is for you. When you do those things and you live according to God's will in your life and obedience to him, the risk and the cost becomes neither here nor there in comparison. See, we, we, we talk about the suffering that would come in obedience. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, he says, the suffering of this present time is not even worthy to be compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed. There is so much more good that is coming through your obedience to God and to be free and to live delivered than there is bad that will follow. Yes, there will be bumps in the road. Yes, there will be times where it will be challenging and you'll wonder why did I ever do this? I, I had a friend one time, I'm getting ready to wrap this up, but I had a friend one time tell me, this was years and years, I was still in high school actually. He was saved, he was living for Christ, and all of a, th- all of a sudden things got really hard for him in his life. People left him, family members disowned him, all of these different things. And he looked at me one day, he says, I wish I never would have even accepted Christ to begin with because of how much harder it is to follow Christ than it was to live my old way. Thankfully, that story has a happy ending, and he stuck with it. But in that moment, when I think of that moment, it it becomes real to me, and it becomes uh, a a point of understanding where you can start to to see why people would go back. Because you get so comfortable in your dysfunction that you, you can never get to your deliverance. So today I want to ask you this question. What do you need delivered from? What do you need freed from? What is going on in your heart, in your mind, that has held you captive, that has cost you nights of sleep, that has cost you relationships, that has cost you, given you and caused you so much stress you don't even know what to do with? What are those things that torment you? What, are, what addictions, what things in your life that, that are causing you to live a life of sinfulness that are there? What, what are, what's there that you need delivered from in there? Really, I, I can list and list and list things, but you know in your heart, because I believe God is working in hearts today to bring forward in our lives what needs to be removed and what we need to be freed from. I want to tell you that if he did it for this man, freed him from anywhere to, from two to 5,000 demons, he can certainly deliver us today from whatever thing we're dealing with. Because in comparison to what this man was freed from, I, I would really be willing to say, if I was a gambling man, I'd put money on it, that our, 
our issues are no comparison to what this man was dealing with. Not to take away from what you're dealing with or to, or to diminish your suffering. But when you put it in perspective, you realize, man, if God did it for him, he can certainly do it for me. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes with me today.